Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. And also the author of the hit Audible on African-American athletes. I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, The Institute of the Black World, and Politics of the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M, and the History of Black College Football. What's going on, Lou? Welcome back. Oh, man. Thanks, man. Just been recording lectures, trying to get ready to to, to, to go online. Uh, and I talked to a colleague today, and he says, and get this, why are you recording lectures? I only do five minutes uh, and talk about the book and then let them read. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, but I but I am still recording lectures. My son walked in on me today. Super excited that BET, yes, I finally do have BET, is showing a uh, No Limit documentary, a four-part. It's going to be better than Last Dance. I was a No Limit soldier growing up. So as soon as we're done with this, I'm, I'm checking out some Master P. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. I, I didn't know. I did not know that we've done this podcast for two years. I did not realize you were a no limit soldier. I mean, you're from Kentucky, so you've probably been doing all that nappy root stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do know that a little bit about the nappy roots. I'm just saying, like, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, so we we've, we've been away for like a couple of weeks, and uh, the you know nothing has really happened exciting except for sports have slowly come back. Uh, back. Not that. Let's be real. We're gonna enjoy this like four weeks of sports. Because uh, we might not have none come October. Um, what do we have coming back? Baseball came back. Uh, the Marlins. They'll be done. The, the, be Mar- done. the Marlins proceeded to have, what, how many cases of COVID? God, all of them. Yeah, 15. <laughs> 40, 45% of their team, I think I read, um, which put the, you know. And so baseball is already teetering in week one. Um, we had, uh, the MLS came back and finished this little cup, I think. And, uh, that was pretty exciting. And the women's in a W N a S L, uh, in W S L. Yes. Uh, they finished their soccer. They had a little tournament as well. Both of those, you know, in the bubble, uh, and, uh, basketball's back in the bubble. Um, both, uh, the WNBA and the NBA. So this is, you know, this is us getting ramped up for classes, but this is also the first time in, you know, the major sports in America are starting to kind of try to come back online since COVID hit in March. Uh, and leading the charge has been the WNBA. And so we're excited to talk about the WNBA uh, tonight. In order to do that, we had to get a special guest, right? Dr. Letitia Brown. What? Coming in from... Uh, you know, from Virginia Tech, hokey, hokey, hokey. What do y'all say at Virginia? What's the saying at Virginia Tech? <laughs> no, like, I we're definitely hokies, and we do the hokey pokey, and we turn it all around because you know that's and, the way it goes. And <laughs> and what is uh, uh, enter the Sandman for football? That's all I got. That's all I got for Virginia Tech. <laughs> Michael Vick, like this is like no, they, they gotta have right. statues of Michael Vick up there. Please tell me there's statues no, of Michael no, Vick. No, not that no, I've seen. No statue of Vick. Oh, that's. I, I, I mean, it could be there, but I mean, like COVID happened, I haven't seen anything. 
that's fair. That's a fair, fair thing. Like I have only seen my office like three times in in four months or five months or something. So Dr. Brown is a uh, so look, look. I'm gonna. I was gonna do your little CV, but I want you to tell the audience who you are. Right? Tell the people who you are, where you at. We know you're at Virginia Tech, but tell us, tell us about yourself before we get your your hot takes on the WNBA tonight. Thank you. Um. Well. I am Dr. Letitia Ingracia Cardozo Brown, repping, you know, Colorado and Angola, mother and father, that's my people. I am a Black feminist scholar of social relationships and food, and also representations of Black female athletes and athletes and activism. I'll be teaching a new course this fall at Virginia Tech called Plantation Politics, The Black Sport Experience, which I created. We're going to be reading, you know, Harry Edwards, The Revolt of the Black Athlete, and um, Robert Scoop Johnson, The Game is Not a Game. You're not reading. I thought I, I thought I heard we will win the day and I fight for living. Uh, what about you? I, mean, no, I, 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 heard I, I, I thought I heard blood, sweat, and tears, but I, I thought I heard that. Okay, okay she may have cut out. She may have cut out. Cut out a little bit. Okay. That's all right. There are only technical difficulties. Teaching one semester of a first class, but you know I love y'all's work, hands down, all the time, every day. Oh, this hurts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. So it's a recession. We out here trying to move these books. You know, <laughs> Man, I, got, I got three kids to feed. You know? <laughs> these kids keep wanting Pokemon cards in my house. I'm saying, um, <laughs> yeah, no, okay. So you, all right. So you got a lot of things like so. Food and masculinity is right. is your dissertation, but also sports. Explain how those two things uh, go together in your own mind and in your own work and in and in how you see it going forward. Right. So. I went straight into a PhD program out of undergrad. And my vision was, ooh, I'm going to write about Black women with eating disorders like anorexia. That's it. Mm. And then I went to the University of Texas, met Dr. Ben Carrington, and he was like, you know, that's cool. But I think that you might really find sports and representation interesting. So ended up writing a master's thesis about Castor Semenya, Florence Griffith Joyner, and you know, it won an award. It was great. I love representations of black female athletes through like controlling images, Patricia Hill Collins. Mm-hmm. But for my dissertation, I kind of wanted to go back to my food roots. Oh, okay. I ended up taking an American studies course called American food at the university of Texas, because in their like little profile, they were like, Oh, you're going to get to eat things. And I was like, for real, <laughs> I get to eat stuff for class and get credit. I can eat. <laughs> and um, we did oral histories of iconic Texas restaurants. And I was like, cool. I want to talk about food. So I ended up studying different social relationships and food for my dissertation. I looked at romantic relationships, religion and food, and the workplace and food. And my recent article that came out was about Black men, masculinity, faith and food. And I loved it. And I just, but 
you know, in my soul, I'm still kind of a sports scholar. So working on a dissertation, uh, working on a book chapter with a graduate student of mine that we're calling Pariah Today, Hero Tomorrow. Okay. And kind of looking at the evolution of American understanding of sports and activism among Black athletes. Okay. Okay. So today everyone is like, oh, Muhammad Ali, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, we love them. And I'm like, yeah, but yesteryear y'all hated them. (laughs) And so today y'all hate Cap and you don't understand Maya Moore, but where are they going to be 20, 30 years from now? That's an excellent, excellent, excellent way of framing it. Can we back up to this food in Texas? I have to imagine that's the, that, like I'm saying, it's hungry. It's like what? late night snack. That studying food in Texas has got to be very rewarding. It was amazing. The restaurant that we had was, wait for it, in Austin, Texas, for those of you listening, Matt's El Rancho. Okay. Which is a family-owned, beautiful Tex-Mex place where they fed us and paired every meal with tequila every time we came to do interviews. I'm like in my 20s, just like eating good, learning that tequila has different flavors. Like, did you know that like things are smoky or woody? I didn't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know now. I know now. I know now. We um we studied with um, Dr. Elizabeth Englehart, who was there, but is now at UNC Chapel Hill, living her life like a boss. Like it okay. was a good project, mainly because you know, being in grad school, you're hungry. That is the number one state. People are like, what's grad school life? And I'm like, hunger. hunger. Right. Like, how do you get grad school students to show up to your things? Are you offering food? And do they know? Like that that's absolutely true. That's fantastic. And plantation politics is a great, great title for a class. And 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 we uh we we're actually gonna have you back on at the end of your term and we're gonna get a follow-up and see how it goes because our final I wanna I wanna hear. I wanna hear like how the students at Virginia Tech, which is a very, you know, athletic savvy and right uh, intense place take these hard questions right that's fantastic no that's no that's good especially since um they might not even have a season right uh so so we'll we'll see has real quick before we get started and and maybe this is a good segue did i notice other university their athletes when everything when it was how do i put this when it was popular to say you know the coach to come out and say black lives matter Mm-hmm. Um, did Virginia Tech's football or basketball coaches or football players, basketball players, anybody, uh, were they out there protesting or you don't know? I know that our players definitely thought about it and talked about it. I um, taught an online course in social inequality this summer and had several athletes in it that were very vocal. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a it was a tough class. They read. um Dear Martin by Nick Stone, which is a novel about, you know, a young black man at a predominantly white high school who who deals with being accosted by the police. 
mm-hmm. and decides to handle it by writing letters to Martin Luther King Jr. to suss out his feelings. Oh. And then their final project was to do was to create an annotated playlist about social inequality. Okay. How'd that go? Oh my gosh, they were beautiful. Oh, that's great. I was pleasantly surprised by how much thought and effort my 50 students put into these projects. I learned songs I didn't know, like Bill Collins, Another Day in Paradise. Who's that? I didn't know. Oh wow! Well, Yeah, yeah. We had some muddy waters. Like these students took it to levels I was not expecting, and it was amazing. Oh well, yeah. Let me let me let me ask you this: since yeah. I'm gonna steal this assignment, um, so typically when I'm in, in in person, I have them do like group music projects similar. So in the civil rights class, pick a song. You know, has you know about the civil rights movement or civil rights itself. And a couple of years ago, I got some crap songs, but usually I get some good, st- you know, I get that good every year. I, I get a uh, ball of confusion, but anyway, um, I like that song. I like that. I like it. Um, <laughs> so how's the assignment? So, so we're going to do a pod and next, next part we do is about teaching, you know, black, the black athlete and us history right. courses. So, so go ahead, give our listeners like who, who might be profs, like give us like, how right. do you, how'd you uh, do this assignment? And then I'll steal it and do it this year. Oh, please. <laughs> I posted it on Twitter and it went viral in like three seconds and it was amazing. Oh, wow. To, damn, I missed that. All right. All right. So essentially students had to choose between six and eight songs that related to an issue of social inequality. And I left it open. I was like, you can do six songs that are all about race, or you can do six songs that are about, you know, race, gender, and these intersections, but you have to talk about it in ways that relate back to course material. Mm. And so students talked about police brutality and they drew in, of course, the novel by Nick Stone and the connections that they were making with, they had to justify it through lyrics or, you know, the syncopation or just how the music made them feel in their soul. And it was, it was beautiful. Like I have 50 unique playlists with, you know, a top five that were recurring themes that I saw throughout them. And I was surprised because I was like, oh, they're just going to, you know, get on Spotify <laughs> and use that Black Lives Matter playlist that they have right now. Have you seen that? Because it exists. Yes, I've seen it. But they didn't. They were unique in their choices. Some of them did graphics. It was incredible. That's a good, that's a great, and this, was this before or after uh, George, like the protests in Minneapolis kind of set off a string before, of protests? because it was like on the assignment at the beginning of the semester. Like, but, when they, but when they turned it in, it was before too? Oh, they or? turned it in at the end of the protest. Okay. So that like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like it made a huge impact. Okay. As did the reading of Dear Martin. Like I couldn't have predicted what was going to happen when I assigned it. 
Mm-hmm. But I've been teaching it since 2018 when it came out because I'm a new scholar. I love to read novels. And as a sociologist, I don't just want to read about old white men. That's fair. I really just want to introduce my students mainly to like black female authors because I feel like especially at a place like tech that's like military and rural, they might not have that exposure Mm -hmm. if I don't give it to them. And every time I've taught a novel, I taught um, Kindred in my intro to African-American studies class. Students loved it. Did you use the regular novel? They, don't they? Have, isn't that a graphic novel now? Is that a they graphic? Not a graphic novel. I use the um, regular novel. I own the graphic novel. Both are great. Okay, but but, we gotta talk. Yeah, right. I'm teaching a class next year, next spring, and I'm I'm gonna need a novel. And I was thinking about using that one for graphic Ooh, novel. I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. Okay, good, good, good. We'll we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk after. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here just taking notes. Okay, okay. Um, Look, this was my first year on the tenure track, and my first online official online course assignment went viral on Twitter. You can follow me, Letitia one two two. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. She she's a veteran at this. Like she's just yeah, kind of like this. Is, off. Yeah. You know what this is? This is the difference between. Like are I I would I'm gonna sound like a gen, I'm a Gen X person so I'm gonna make I'm gonna sound old uh, you're millennial like you're so savvy so savvy already with like let me drop my let me drop my Twitter handle oh I, I, I went viral like all these things that uh, over a thousand likes in two hours wow yeah and I is, talked to people good. in the Netherlands and New Zealand about this assignment because they thought it was amazing. No, that it sounds amazing. That's and I was just like, I just didn't want to read fifty essays that were boring. I I wanted to read something interesting. I wanted my students to think and engage. And music is an entryway. I like it. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like music. I like um, I like using music uh for the class. You know what else I like sports. So, (laughs) listeners, next week, next week we're gonna have a show. Next week we're gonna have a show dedicated to to bringing the black athlete into your your um, survey class. So Ooh. so yeah. be ready for that. But today 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 we have our our W we'll call it our WNBA special. Ooh, yeah. um, yeah. right. So and 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 the reason why we're doing this is because we have to be clear the WNBA has really I think it's fair to say they've been the leaders on this, I would say the athlete activism front of since 2016. And, and one of the things that stick out, sticks out to me. So on Saturday they had their triple headers and, um, and we have to be clear, they did not leave during the national anthem. They left uh, before the playing of the national anthem to, to, to really protest that, but they all have black lives matter on the front of the shirt, say her name on the back of the shirt. And I was watching them play today. Uh, before we got on, I was watching some of the, uh, Liberty and, and the Dallas, uh, team play. And, and by the way, the Liberty's coach is going to get fired, but I, it, it dawned on me that the NBA players wore shirts in 2014. Right. And that was like a one-off, maybe one or, or two games and the WNBA, what, what's so spectacular about what they're doing this year and what they did in 2016, but we'll focus on this year, is they're like, we're doing this 
we're doing this all year, right? We're not, we're not backing off. It's not going to be a one-off thing. Right. You're going to have to see Black Lives Matter. You're going to have to see Breonna Taylor. You're going to have to deal with this all year long. Yes. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a, they they are definitely the leader and and the consistency. That's the other piece, right? Like it's not just a a moment. They've been very consistent uh and and from their leaders and their best players have been consistent on speaking out uh, on these issues. But it, and they created oh, could I real quick. They created the Black Lives Matter. That was their idea to have that on the court, to have the names on the jersey and the NBA is like, "Oh, we'll just steal this." The other thing and and then I'll just let uh, Doctor Brow go off. Um, <laughs> is is um, what was I say? They so they protested during the national anthem by leaving. In the NBA's um, bylaws or whatever you want to call it, they can't. They have to be out there for the national anthem. So we'll see tomorrow the difference, right? Now, now I, heard, I was listening to Adam Silver say today that that he believes in every player's right to protest. But once they protest, they'll be breaking a, a league rule. So it's going to be very interesting because there's no – they've never had a player kneel, right, uh, and since 2016. Um, for some reason, they're going to be playing the national anthem, I guess, even though there's no fans in the stands. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be interested to see that because that was, that was a pretty gutsy move uh, to walk out before the playing of the national anthem, understanding that once you did that, you're going to catch all – the H-E double hockey sticks from all the, the fake outraged Patriots. So mm-hmm. we'll be, I'll be interested to see what's going to go on tomorrow night. But it's like, it makes sense because women lead movements. We don't, we're not often the people whose names are remembered. Like we talk about MLK. We talk about Malcolm. We hear less about Ida B. Wells. We talk about Cap, we hear less about Maya Moore, but women in general and Black women in particular are always out front doing the work because we're always the ones that are underfoot. And I mean, it just like, for a second, it makes me think about Meg the Stallion and all of the backlash that she's receiving. Like, because she's tall, because she's darker than a paper bag, the trauma and the violence that was inflicted upon her means nothing. And it's it's wild to me, but I love the WNBA for everything that they're doing, everything that they stand for. Like, I grew up watching players like, you know, Lisa Leslie, because... I was 13 the year Love and Basketball came out. And that was my life. I was like, oh, I see it. I have no game whatsoever. I knew I was never going to play basketball. I was a gymnast. I was a cheerleader. I was short. (laughs) Still short. Didn't grow. Um, But I love, love what our players are doing. Like, you know, it's incredible that they, the WNBA, have decided to dedicate the entire season to Breonna Taylor because so often in the din of Black Lives Matter, Black women, Black trans women, non-binary Black people are pushed to the side. And like, we can all say, you know, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, but we don't often hear the other names, the names of women, 
And it's, I've been reading um, Heavy, the memoir Mm. right now. And I'm 154 pages in because I have to stop every so often and catch my breath. Mm -hmm. And there's this black woman in it that's talking to him while he's, you know, pushing back against the university and is like, we were out in those streets and those white boys in that fraternity called you a nigger, but they called me a nigger bitch and you didn't come to my aid. You know, like it's one thing to be the N word. It's a whole nother thing to be the N word plus a bitch. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different story. And I yeah. think that like intersectionality often gets, pushed to the side and we don't think about the experiences of black women. Like I'm not going to say that black men don't have it rough and that black men aren't disrespected by the law because they are. And I read on Twitter today, someone said that um, medical doctors treat black women like the police treat black men. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like we die in childbirth. No one believes us when we say we're in pain because, you know, how can a black woman feel pain? Absolutely. Right. But it's just like, hey, we're all suffering. And the suffering that we feel is intersectional. And if we ignore that, then we're missing we're missing the entire story. No, I think this I, I think you bring up a couple of good points. Right. Um, uh, and let me just for our listeners who may not be familiar, you want to tell who the, our listeners who Meg the Stallion is? I don't know. You, you know, we got <laughs> we're, we're older. We're an older set. We're, oh we're, 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 we're a generation X. So, so is this? did you say MC Light? Like what is it? <laughs> so just for, the, the, for our, the rapper, the phenom, her knees are amazing. Everything about her is amazing. And it hurts my soul that she went on IG begging for people to kind of like feel her pain for being shot. Right. Who, who shot her again? Uh, what, was, what is that short dude's name? I don't know. Tori Lanes. Right. And I call him short because he is. And that's a part of the problem is that they're like, how could Meg feel pain when the, when it was a short man coming after her? And I'm like, really? For real? Yeah. But black no. women, we don't we don't feel pain, apparently. We're just, you know, and then I think it was I don't even know the other rapper who was like, Well, I wish a dude would like me so much he would shoot me in the feet. Really? No, that's not Please that's don't. Not. Like that's not it's not it's not funny. It's not a joke. Like the pain and and that's one of the things that I'm reading about and heavy is like how this author is talking about Black women experience the type of trauma that they could not inflict upon Black men. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, we don't have the power of patriarchy behind us. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's one thing, you know, to be oppressed because you're Black. But it's a whole nother thing to be oppressed when you're Black, female, or non-binary or trans. Absolutely. I think you I think this is interesting because like when we think about the history of of black women activism and and right. and, and is that it it's constantly overshadowed, right? So the WNBA players for the last 6 years have been far more consistent and even outspoken in some ways 
uh, in their activism to all these kinds of issues, police violence, uh, you know, less that security than their less security, <laughs> with less security and less recognition. Right. So like, the, you know, it's like they say something uh, and then LeBron says it. And then it's like the W like, that's the only thing they were talking about is the NBA response. Right? right. And I think that speaks to, and I think this is where Lou can give us a little bit of this, the kind of historical background here about how do we, you know, how, where does the WNBA fit and this activism fit in the kind of genealogy of black women athletes and their activism? Oh, that's a, that's a wonderful question. And as I mentioned uh, in the uh, epilogue of the hit book, We Will Win the Day, which is not going to be in Dr. Brown's class. This year. Uh, this year. Uh, this year. No, um, one of the things I was, I was doing with that book is I don't – there might only be one chapter in there where, where black women don't show up. It's like how do we fit black women into this? And and so I lead off the activist athlete chapter with a story about Rose Robinson. And, and I say like she's one of the first – athlete activists, you know, there's Jackie, but then here's Rose Robinson and she, um, protests, right. She's, she's a member of core, uh, early on as, as a high jumper. And then at the uh, Pan Am game, she, she doesn't, uh, stand up for the national anthem. Uh, so there's a protest there and she doesn't pay her taxes. And one of the reasons why she says she doesn't pay her taxes is because she doesn't want her money going to war. She wants her money going to, uh, her community in Chicago. So she's jailed for that. Uh, then where she comes on this, the radar is um, she refuses to to participate in the um, track and field games between U.S. and Russia, the you know, these Cold War games. And she tells Jet Magazine, like, I'm, I'm not going to be used as this kind of political prop for my country, right, that doesn't love me, the, you know, the way it should. And she's the first. And what I, what I mention sometimes when I lecture, um, so if you want me on your speaking tour, just let me know. Sure do. Um, that that – Elgin Baylor off, you know, often gets a lot of credit because he comes in 59 and he boycotts a game. And one of the reasons why we go straight from Jackie Robbins to Elgin Baylor is because she's a woman, right? And so right. we just completely forget about that. Um, and what I also say at the end of the book is that what's so remarkable, what we see with the WNBA, um, 2016 sticks out. I, I was finishing up that book. Um, and that's this idea that they're not, they're not asking, right? Anyone's permission. They're on the front lines. And when I say that, I bring that up because during the sixties, they're not even asked. Right. And so you don't, you don't hear from a lot from their voices. Uh, you have to really tease that out when we're talking about the Olympic project for human rights, right? You have to, maybe someone's getting interviewed by a local newspaper, but they're not brought to LA in November, 1967 to decide whether black athletes are going to boycott or, or not. They're not even asked. It was just simply this idea that that people thought they were going to follow, right? And it's like when you tease things out, you see, well, oh, they have their own ideas about what should happen, right? Whereas someone like Wyoming Tyus does support John Close and Tommy Smith, mm-hmm. but but that's the major difference now is that you have people like Maya Moore who are who are who are actively leaving their career. I can't think of. Another case, uh, if any of you two can let me know, where a, a male athlete, a black male athlete, says, I'm not, not being pushed out like an right. Ali or Cap, yeah. but where they're, where they're saying, I'm not playing because I have social justice work to do. We've seen that with Maya Moore. Mm-hmm. I believe her name, uh, Renee Montgomery, yeah. uh, is sitting out. Now, 
the risk is, and especially in this bubble or wobble, is that no one's talking to you anymore, right? And we see that from Lou Alcindor or Kareem uh, 68 Olympics, right? right? He didn't get an opportunity to say anything because he wasn't there and nobody's talking to him. Uh, so the risk is that once you bring yourself out, and we saw that a lot with the NBA players, someone like a Dwight Howard who doesn't even believe in COVID was, was like, <laughs> bubble, we can't do our social justice work, right? It's like, ah, but if you're there, everybody's going to listen to you. But that's, that's the, I think that's the major difference, in, right? Um, is that they're, they're literally willing to risk it all. Like if you look at your career, WNBA career, it's probably very, it's very short. You're not making a lot of money and they're, they're willing to risk it all. They're risking it all by having, you know, playing with uh, Black Lives Matter t-shirts throughout the season, understanding that they're going to catch a lot of heck for that. Um, saying that, no, we're going to be in your face about this all year. And I think it's, it's, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's so impactful, right? The guys have to follow, right? right? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the moment they follow, they overshadow. Yeah. So my hope is like the the men, the the NBA players are thinking about that. Like, how do we not overshadow? Because the men, the moment Kyrie says, "Look, I'm giving 1.5 million dollars right. to WNBA players to sit out," everyone goes to Kyrie. Right. The yeah. the moment LeBron says something about the vote, everyone's going to go to LeBron. It's right. like, well, let's let's just. Give them their opportunity here. They only get a week before the the NBA starts. Not even a week, right? They're five, six days. Yeah. My math is terrible. yeah, six so days. I would six really days like the, right, the opportunity to, to have this platform for themselves. So um, that's not going to happen because tomorrow the NBA is back and all the attention is going to go to them. But I I, I want to add just real quick uh, that I also give the WNBA play uh, a lot of. Um, a credit, not just for the social activism, but when uh, the Congresswoman, uh, mm. is she a senator or congresswoman? I can't remember. Kelly. Senator, right? Yeah, She's senator. not even voted in, just yeah. stepped in. Yeah, Kelly Loeffler or whatever, uh, Loeffler, uh, is the co-owner of the Fever. She, you know, she made a big statement that she doesn't feel like they should play. And they and they did not back down, even uh, the members of that particular team. And I think that speaks to, like, I think your point, right, that that, that Black women historically have been on the front lines they've they've also developed the strategies when you think about how ella baker was consistently overlooked uh you know like when you talk to activists they're like uh, you know miss baker was the reason that everything went you know right right um and so i think it speaks to this speaks to this 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 moment and then i think as lou pointed out as well as dr brown that you know it's unfortunate that we can't give them more of a lead platform. I mean, some of this is COVID related because like you said, like everything is going to be the W you know, it's going to be NBA stuff from here on out when normally they have the summer to themselves in some ways, right? Because the summer in terms of basketball is the WNBA's normal season um, in beginning in June. And so I think this is a, a historic historic moment and i think that we you know i think i'm excited to see what they do for the rest of the the time in the bubble i guess the bubble thing is right <laughs> it's weird can, can i add something real quick Go ahead. um because we we talked about um you know black women being kind of left out and and overshadowed derek mentioned ella baker but real quick readers before we lose our train of thought um Ella Baker is an excellent book. If you teach, said there's that excellent uh, biography on her 
um, Septima Clark. Yeah. It's another, it's another very good book. If you're looking for books to put into the classroom that I think your students will dig, uh, um, very good. Set the World on Fire, obviously by, by uh, Keisha Bland. I love using that in the classroom. Um, Sisters in Struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very good book about, it's an edited volume um, about black women in the civil rights movement. I think uh, those, those are good places to start, but, but definitely if you're looking, if you got to just choose one, uh, sisters in struggle might get it done for you because it, it really takes you from, I think there's a, there's a chapter on Ella Baker. Um, it takes you from roughly Ella Baker to probably around the, the 1970s, 1980s. So it gives you a good breath. Um, for some of you guys who teach the extended civil rights, like I do. Um, sorry, there we go. No, I, just, I, I will add. I, I would. Add, <laughs> I would add uh, Danielle McGuire's at the dark end of the. Street. Oh yeah, that's a. Oh man, that that's a that a that's a that's a great it's, one. It's a yeah. great book, and it, it 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 forces students to do a lot of reckoning. Um, and I think and that sports a spectacular leap. Oh yes. Oh yeah. We always oh, yes, use that. Yeah. You know, we always, you know, I always use that in my black athlete class. Um, and they always have to write on uh one of their papers on on black women. But Spectacular Leap is an excellent, excellent, excellent read. It is, and I like the way it moves. You know, like a lot like Sisters in Struggle, it gives you a good range from you know, early work from Aura Washington to Jackie Jordan Kersey. Um wow. and I think that's a really, you know, that breath. As a teacher, we, you know, it's good for us to use. I like, I like the various, the kind of the way the chapters move through, move us through time and we can kind of see them in conjunction with uh, various moments. Um, But yeah, no, I love all that stuff. Um, So what do you, let me ask you a question, Dr. Brown, where do you think the WNBA, uh, what, what's the next move? Right, Maya Moore. Let's. You brought up Maya Moore in your class as as part of your essay that you're working with this book chapter, mm-hmm. and and so I'm going to ask two questions here. One, uh, can you explain to the re- to our listeners what Maya Moore, uh, who she is and what she's done? Because I think that's important. Uh, but two, where do you think that the WNBA goes next in terms of uh, as players? Right, like how do you constantly think about your craft as a professional player, but also thinking about how you keep. Uh, you know, keep pushing the social justice issue forward. Right. I mean, you know, Maya Moore has given up so much of her athletic career in an effort to make voices of those that are imprisoned heard. And it's a beautiful thing, like um, Jonathan Irons specifically. And I mean, where do you go from here? My hope is that they move to the forefront of discussion that when we say names like Muhammad Ali, Tommy Smith, John Carlos in the same breath, Maya Moore is there, you know, like in the same breath that we're thinking about the level of effort and the work that black women are doing because the WNBA isn't as quote unquote secure as the NBA is when it comes to things like pay and airtime and, you know, anything because women's sports are consistently looked down upon, even when we do better than men's sports. And here I'm thinking, you know, (coughs) USA soccer, but um, (laughs) that's a whole nother conversation. But 
it's just like, I see so much room for them leading the charge. And I'm hoping that like their male athlete counterparts back them up. Mm. Like, um, Ooh, who was it? I'm blanking on names. I'm terrible at names who just did a press conference. And he was like, every answer that I'm going to give you is justice for Breonna Taylor. All right. That was a number of guys. Um, number of guys. I know well, Jalen Brown did that. Uh, specifically, yeah. the first one. And he was just like, whatever you ask, that's what I'm going to say. And it's like, yes, this is I what know. I want. Tobias, Tobias Harris, I believe. Yes. yes. Yeah. Like, that's what I want to see. And I want to see them saying, like, you know, I'm speaking about it now, but people in the WNBA were doing it first. Like, they took a knee before Cap took a knee, but they don't have that same Nike to fall back on. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different story. Like no shade to cap because you know, it's my dude. I don't know him, but I respect it. Um, it's just like, I'm ready for women to kind of get the recognition that they have earned and worked for bled for died for Mm-hmm been brutalized for in the name of lifting up others like so often especially black women are tasked or said as being like oh you're so strong we lift up everybody and it's like that's cool but who's holding us up yeah like if we're being beaten down not only by white men white women and their tears but also black men because their masculinity is threatened by others, but even other black women who feel like the only way they're going to get recognition from black men is to put down other black women. It's just, it's wild in these streets, but I see the WNBA is like taking a charge and taking a stand and making the moves that are necessary to kind of like change our perception of activism in the game. And I'm ready. I'm ready for it. You know what's the 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 sad, I guess tragic and sad is not the right word. Tragic part is that the bubble is going to keep both the NBA and WNBA safe, but right. it's also but it's also going to remove the opportunities for for these collaboration to collaborate with one another, but also to collaborate with their communities. And I think this is getting me thinking about Maya Moore, how, you know, like it was the collaboration, like when she found out about this case that she right. decided, you know, like she was still playing and still trying to learn about it. And then she decided to make that move. And so when I watch the the protests in Louisville right down the road for me or the protests in Minneapolis or Portland now as a, as a spot that these are all places in which we could that there's the we we've because of COVID, we've lost the possibility of interaction between on-the-ground activists who could use monetary support, um, attention, those kinds of things, cover, right? Because athletes would provide a particular kind of cover to them in some cases. And so this is a, you know, so it's going to be interesting in in figuring out how both of these these two organizations, um, in particular the women in the WNBA, move forward because they have been very good about collaborating with local communities and that had been like a strength of their activism. Um, and that, that gets kind of lost as we're trying to protect them from catching this pan, you know, because it's a global freaking pandemic and right. <laughs> it can't be ignored. Like, you know, I mean, I know that there are rumors that it's going to be over in November, but I'm kind of like, how? 
Yeah, no, we we. No, we're not. We're not doing there, what we need to do. There will be no face to face. Right, and there yeah. should be until we are, you know, doing what our due diligence. Like our athletes deserve better. Especially, yes. I'm thinking about our student athletes and our most vulnerable student athletes who are, you know, black brown, low income, and they're mm-hmm. going to spaces in which like this might be their opportunity out, but like Well, they can't say no. Go to what? To get a disease and die? Like mm-mm. Yeah. Do better. I know it's a we're we're in a we're in a tricky spot. I mean, I think it, 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 when we think about just athletes and activism and 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 general, that this has been a really fantastic summer to watch these college athletes get the you know the mississippi state getting the state of mississippi to change the flag at texas you guys got in the eyes of texas that was just like two weeks ago scary i was at texas for eight years and every time i heard that song i was scared um what else have we seen happen uh everything yeah you know he got dabble sweeney out there with saying black lives matter (laughs) exactly (laughs) <laughs> these, that's enough for me on a plantation. They got yeah. to change. Are they, they, they changed now, the, they, Cal, the John C. Calhoun School. Then it was the Honors yeah. College. Yeah. Now South Carolina's not doing it. What are they? Are they? They're after what? Strom Thurmond? Did I have oh, that right? Man. Or uh, I, I believe. No. Strom Thurmond. Are, who are they named after? One of those races. Who's the other one? <laughs> Is it Helms? No, Strom Thurmond. <laughs> Thurmond. Yeah. But you mean the yeah, Honors yeah. College? No, the uh, arena. Right? Isn't it? I don't. I, don't no, know. The, I know the South Carolina are trying to get the arena changed. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Am I just making up stuff now? I, I, okay. I don't know. That might be making up of stuff. I don't know. Wait, 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 right. You guys keep talking. Then why? Uh, why you quietly Googles, quietly Google's it? Yeah. Because um, you know this is how we are. We don't want. No one wants to be wrong on this. No. Right. This is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's going to be a, it's been a, a fan, uh, you know, for us as scholars of sports and, and activism, right. it's been a very interesting, um, summer, which when you thought like in March, when we both, when everybody, all of us went on lockdown, mm-hmm. there's no way you could have been like, yeah, this summer is going to be lit for sports activism. Right. right. Cause we're like, <laughs> COVID's going to keep everybody in their room and we'll it's be on. It's a brave new world. And I, you know, I'm excited that to to find. I'm excited to watch our student athletes and athletes, professional athletes, use their voice, and that the women, the women of the WNBA, are the models, right? Like, so when we're teaching our classes with student athletes, you're like, who should you be looking up to? And I'm like, you should be looking up to these women in the WNBA, yeah, because they're taking more risk, right? Their their circumstances are much closer to you, akin to our student athletes than they are, you know, than LeBron, who's got a hundred million dollars a year, right? Like, um, and so their career is always teetering because the league is always, uh, at risk. Uh, And there's no, I'm no, I'm buttoning in now. Oh, Uh, he's he's got it. He's got it. I've had it. It is, it's the strong Thurman center at at, uh, the South Carolina. Uh, University of. I, it sounds like it's the place where students work out. Oh, uh, which okay. is like, how do you name that after? But it's only like ten years old, so it's not like Seriously? there's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, people who've spoken out are obviously uh, Asia Wilson, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Marcus Lattimore, other other top name athletes. But again, back to the WNBA. So Wilson's probably one of the. I mean, 
she's uh, one of the better known names, right? With she's affiliated with South Carolina, right? Like she's probably the. It's fair to say when you affiliate uh, an athlete with South Carolina, she's probably the one at the moment. Right. But I, I think they're not budging. Um. So I'll have to. Well, have the listeners, you have to look into that and 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 email us or, or let us know. Definitely. Uh, but that's one of those things, right? Where where. Uh, things move fast after after George Floyd, right? And, and I'm yeah. sure every university is like looking like, oh God, what did we do here? Right. Oh. No, I know it's it's been crazy, and I'm 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 so glad to have Dr. Brown on. Thank uh, you. She's been fantastic, and it's been you know you should follow her on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Give, again? give your socials. It is L E T I S H A one two two. That is my Twitter handle. Follow me. Look at that. Look at that. that was very that's that's professional. That's professional. professional. Yeah. That's like, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And, you know, congratulations on gaining a tenure track job Thank uh, you. before the pandemic. Uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, they're hard to come by. They will be harder to come by after. And so we're excited. Um, and so we're happy to have you on and for your insights. We're going to have you on again Please as do. the world. As the as the sports world evolves, and we want to hear about this class at some point too, um, and especially when you start using uh, "We will win the day" or "Blood, Sweat, and Tears." Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're always welcome as guest speakers, both. <sighs> oh, <laughs> man. Fantastic! Thank you. Let us know. All right. All right. Are we out? Is this is this Eric Derek t- taking us out of here? I mean, this is us getting out of here. We're, right. we're at fifty right. minutes. That's right. I'm, yeah, we're out. I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch some Master P. So <laughs> no limit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's and we are definitely out. Peace. Peace. Peace.